Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. I owe there to Caruso. And Caruso is sent to the floor by Grayson Allen. Grayson Allen, a jerk. Hashtag evergreen tweet. That was the injury to Alex Caruso that put him out for all the time that he's been out, what, like six, seven weeks, give or take. However, there's news on that front. I'm Rick Camp. I'm here with you for another hour. So at 840 or give or take, we're going to hear from Shio Kapadia, who's one of the national NFL writers at The Athletic. He did. He spoke with Dan Bernstein earlier in the day about the Bears, the Khalil Mack trade, their offseason, and also just like do's and don'ts to avoid a disastrous offseason. He wrote this piece like a few weeks ago, and, and like a full disclosure thing, we were trying to chase him for a couple weeks, but just because of the combine and other news going on, like everything with baseball, we were finally able to get him on, and it just so happened to work out that it was the day after a Khalil Mack trade happened. And as all this other stuff is starting to happen with the Bears and around the NFL. So it worked out really well. Great conversation that I want to make sure everybody hears in case they missed it earlier in the day. But with the highlight of Alex Caruso's injury, the big news today for the Bulls, as they were actually able to, you know, practice, which is a you know a foreign concept generally this late in the season for a lot of NBA teams, is that Alex Caruso practiced in full. And he has been upgraded from out to questionable for tomorrow's game against the Cleveland Cavaliers. And it's, you know, questionable. It's it's still very much up in the air. But there is at least a possibility that he could play against Cleveland. And if he doesn't, then you would assume he would probably get his first action on Monday on the first game of the West Coast trip in Sacramento. And obviously that's huge for the Bulls because... To put it mildly, the uh, the defense has been a disaster since him and Lonzo Ball have gone out. And that's partially a testament to how good those guys are and also just how much they depend on those guys because the Bulls have a roster full of a lot of one-way players. So that's partially the issue. And it's it's the beauty and the curse of the team that has been built. And mind you, in year one, of, of this type of, of a real winning team that the Bulls are trying to put together with Arturis Karnaschovas and Mark Eversley is they were they got guys that were available, which means they weren't the elite of the elite. Also means they're a little bit of one-way guys, so you need to complement them with guys that are more the other way. So getting DeRozan, who's been 
better than anybody could have realistically expected. If anybody said they were expecting this level of play from DeMar DeRozan this year, they're lying to you. Do not believe them. And Nikola Vucevic as well, two guys that are very offense-oriented. Neither of them are very good defensively. Uh, Vooch, I think, is getting a little bit of a worse rep than he deserves since Caruso and Ball went out, since the Bulls, when their defense was really good, was predicated on stopping the ball at the point of attack, which is where those two guys excel. And it made Vooch's job easier, and that's nothing against Vooch. That was literally the plan and the point of the way they structured their defense. So since January 1, since the calendar turned, and this is even a few games with Caruso and or Ball, the Bulls are 19th in net rating according to cleaning the glass, which filters out garbage time. So trying to give us a true representation of the actual rotation of the Bulls. 19th in net rating, minus 1.8. 8th best offense, 115.6 points per 100 possessions. 27th best defense, 117.4 points per 100 possessions. And the biggest number, that's like a, a big glare, a big light shining at it. When Ball and Caruso were healthy, the Bulls were a top five team in terms of forcing turnovers. And since January 1, the Bulls are dead last in that. And not just dead last, but kind of dead last with a bullet. Because the Bulls are, the turnover rate they're forcing is 11.4. Next is 11.8, and then after that, you're getting into the 12. So the Bulls are are not turning teams over. And that was when their offense was struggling early in the year. It's the trade-off. The offense was struggling early, partially because you were giving more minutes to a guy like Caruso that's not as good of an offensive player. That's just what it is. It's part of the reason he was available at the number that he was was because the Lakers made some bad moves. Also, Caruso's shot can be inconsistent, and he's not. The, he's just not the most consistent offensive player but he's an elite defensive player. And then with Lonzo Ball, it's just the fact that he doesn't really create much off the bounce in the half court. Very dissimilar to Io DeSumo when he's starting at point guard where Io doesn't have as near as consistent of a shot as Lonzo Ball, but he can do a little bit more off the bounce in terms of create in terms of creation. Io's got that good first step. Lonzo Ball's not going to beat anybody off the bounce. That's just part of his thing. Stan Van Gundy, while he didn't have a successful tenure in New Orleans, said in the full court transition, Lonzo's probably one of the best point guards out there because of those hit-ahead passes are so good. But in the half court, he's a wing. He's not even a point guard for that reason. But he's a really good wing in terms of being a connector, a guy that can hit a shot, a guy that can make the right pass and make the play when he needs to. Lonzo's a little further away, but the fact that Caruso could be this close to coming back is big for the Bulls' defense. And also for just something as simple as just curtailing some of the minutes for guys like Io and playing a ton of minutes, being able to give another option, especially someone another option that can play next to Kobe White, especially with the second units. Because I'd be a little surprised if they go full tilt minute load with Alex Caruso to start. So he'd probably be a guy off the bench. He's going to guard the best guard or initiator most likely for the opponent and being able to have that backcourt together and for the time being leave Iowa in the starting lineup and be able to have that unit stay intact. It's going to make a big difference for the bulls. 
312-644-6767 is the number. So what your reaction to the fact that, that Alex Caruso seems to be coming back. Patrick Williams took part in all non-contact portions of practice. That's a good sign for maybe getting him back at some point here. I do think some of the expectations for this individual season for Patrick Williams that are being put out there may be a little aggressive just because of the fact the dude's played five games this year. He's in his second season. He still has a lot of developing to do. He wasn't, mind you, of course, five games at the beginning of a season wasn't looking the best in those five games either. There were people that were already complaining that he wasn't being authoritative enough and in terms of asserting his own offense. That's going to be something with him, at least for the time being. And he's not the most consistent shooter. However, Javante Green's almost gotten to a point where he just refuses to shoot a three or look at the rim, which you can't have. Legitimately cannot have. Even if he's not a good shooter, the Bulls need him to be a willing shooter. So even if the defensive scheme is to have Javante Green get a wide open corner three, some games he's going to hit enough of those to where then the team has to respect it a little bit, and then that opens things up for other guys. Because, once again, as you look at the schedule down the stretch, and I know it's been beaten into everybody's brains at this point, the Bulls' schedule is so tough down the stretch. Now, tonight, Cleveland's playing in Miami. So that's not a nice back-to-back for Cleveland. When they're already hurt, Jared Allen is out, Harris LaVert is out. So that's things they have to deal with. But as I look at the scoreboard right now, they're about to hit halftime. It's a one-point game. So that'll be interesting to see how the second half plays out in that one. But then coming to Chicago, back-to-back, Miami to here, not the easiest thing in the world. Then the Bulls have a long stretch of, as I'm doing math, as I'm trying to not, it's, does counting count as like real math? Probably not. But eight eight of their next nine are on the road. Three of those are out on the West Coast. So after this Cleveland game tomorrow, the Bulls hightail it to the West Coast. They play in Sacramento on Monday, in Utah on Wednesday, and in Phoenix on Friday. So it ain't getting any easier. Then you come home. You have two days off to come back home, so that's good. Monday, and then a back-to-back. Home for Toronto at Milwaukee. Those are two big physical teams. Now, the Bulls have actually matched up pretty darn well against the Bucs, much better than I thought they would have this season. Obviously, that's the whole Grayson Allen thing and how that first matchup went. But still, if all you're looking for, and I think this is good perspective for Bulls fans at this point, and I want to know how you're perceiving the end of this season. This point, it's, it's just, we got the tournament coming up. It is survive in advance. Get to the end of the season, be in the top six, Hope you get a matchup that isn't the worst for you. It sure looks like right now, as you look at the Eastern Conference standings, that even though it is still pretty darn jumbled, you're probably looking at a Bulls-Celtics 4-5 series. Because I just don't know that Cleveland, even though they have an easier schedule than most, with how beat up they are, is it realistic to expect them to be able to be a, a game better than Boston the rest of the way when Boston's just been on fire. They were, they got off to a really slow start this year, but now they've been so good. Their defense has been the best in the league for a minute now that honestly, I I've been talking with a couple of guys, a couple like national NBA guys offline. 
And the thought is that the Celtics are basically like a more primo version of the Bulls because you have really good point of attack defenders in Marcus Smart and Derek White. Derek White, who they got from the Spurs at the deadline. Your two primary scorers are your wing guys that are really good, and theirs are better defensively, for sure, than the Bulls, too, in terms of Jason Tatum, who's just not missing shots. He is, sometimes he is just, seems like he's trying to make shots more difficult just to see if he can make it. And J- and Jalen Brown. Those two guys have been really, really good. And then they have the defensive center where the Bulls have the offensive center. Rob Williams, a.k.a. Time Lord, has been awesome. Since they switched, the since Ime Udoka, the new head coach there, switched around the defense a little bit and kind of let, let Robert Williams roam a little bit and, and play center field, basically put him on, essentially they were playing the Bulls and maybe put him on like Javante Green or something. Uh, like that's the type of role they're doing and basically saying you go do what you need to do track the ball and be by the rim and if your guy hits a three he hits a three so be it we'll dare him to do it we'll let them do that every possession their defense has been incredible like almost 100 points per 100 possessions which is phenomenal and especially since january 1 as i'm looking at the rankings right now they are 3.1 points per 100 possessions better than the next best team. To put that in perspective, if you go 3.1 points down, that get as once again, I'm doing more math. What could go wrong? That's the same as the difference between second and 12th. That's the difference between one and two with how good Boston's defense has been. They've been a borderline top 10 offense. They can be a little streaky in terms of their shooting, but honestly, I understand the comparisons of this version of Boston being very much like a, a better version of the Bulls. And it's it's really interesting in that regard. So I don't know that that's the best matchup for the Bulls if you get in the playoffs because Marcus Smart's playmaking has gotten a lot better. So if you end up seeing pick and roll of Marcus Smart and Robert Williams and one area that Vooch has a lot of problems in terms of guarding is vertical space, Rob Williams can jump. Not as tall as Vooch, but he's a big guy that can move and he can jump. And he can, those alley, like basically like what you would think of with like Trey Young and Clint Capella or what used to be the vintage in Houston with James Harden and Clint Capella. Pick and roll, dive man, get some of those dunks at the rim. Rob Williams can do that and he's got a little more skill too. And he's leading the league in blocks per game up there with Jaron Jackson Jr. and Rudy Gobert at 2.2 a game. Yeah, he's been he's been really good. And especially since they've put him in that new role where it puts him in more position to be like a weak, a weak side help guy or just to meet a ball handler at the rim. He's really excelled in that. 312-644-6767. Take time out, come back. Keep talking Bulls NBA and honestly open up the phone lines to whatever you want. If you want to go back to Bears conversation or anything that you're seeing on the baseball side as well, I'm here for it because at 840, we are going to listen to Chio Capadia with Dan Bernstein. That'll be for some really good NFL conversation. We'll do that before we get to the top of the hour. That's when I'm out of here. I'm Rick Camp with you till then on The Score. This is Sports Radio 670 The Score, Chicago's sports station. 
By the way, we'd like to thank three-time Grammy winner and Houston native Megan The Stallion for the montage we presented during our opening. Her new album, Something for The Hotties. Smoltz, I think that might be directed specifically at you. We'll be out this Friday. Uh, Joe Buck, I think you, you might have missed one of the old, ye old context clues in the copy there. The, the use of the because it's uh, Megan the Stallion, not Megan the Stallion. But hey, good for Joe Buck because uh, man's got money. Because he is joining his guy, Troy Aikman, over at ESPN. That's going to be your new Monday night football crew. Which is just... I don't know that anybody really saw that coming. I mean, I'm in, I'm always interested. I think sometimes a lot of us in, the, in media are, are more interested in these stories than the average person out there, and that's totally cool. But I don't remember seeing anybody of your national sports media reporters being like, you know what, Joe Buck might follow. Maybe it's out. Maybe it's out there, and I just missed it. But. I did not see that one coming. So now it's going to be really interesting because Joe Buck's basically hunting on the World Series and doing baseball work for the opportunity to do Monday Night Football with Troy Aikman and then apparently also do some, he's going to be producing some ESPN Plus content. So he'll probably get his version of whatever show it ends up being, which if you've ever heard Buck on the station, like for one thing, cool dude. I understand that a lot of people don't like him because they perceive that he hates the Cubs or any Chicago team or they just don't like him as a broadcaster, which I can I can actually appreciate that more than the, well, he hates Team X. Probably means he's calling the game pretty fair. But I, just when he's been on the station, because him, you know, him and Speaks are good friends, which is cool. Like, just that connection is awesome. Um, like, you could tell, guy with a lot of thoughts, creative guy so i'm fascinated to see like what type of content he's going to be doing for espn plus because at least the espn plus has a lot of things going on out there remember it's it started with the uh oh god what did they call it at the time when it wasn't kobe the first one to have like the film breakdown thing yeah yeah you're i don't remember what it's called but i think yeah, yeah you're i can still hear the music though like there's the music thing that would always play when they would when they would uh tease it or promo it in game. And I can still hear that. The doom, 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 whatever it was. We have a new drop. That's it. Oh, is, is that? <laughs> yeah. Just like loop it and make a bet out of it. Uh, this hour is brought to you by EOC audio. You can hear that, that future bet on that. Uh, they make today's home technology simple. Check them out at EOC com. So that's going to be interesting to see uh, what Fox does to fill the spot, whether they end up promoting from within or if they go out of uh, out of house to be able to fill their uh, their top roles, because that's going to be really fascinating to see what they do. 312-644-6767. We did have a 260 texter who was like, buck to ESPN on Monday Night Football with an exclamation point. So at least somebody else cares out there. I, I don't know. I'm always fascinated in that stuff. Uh, Doris Burke, one of my favorite analysts, on the NBA side, she re-upped with ESPN this week, which is awesome because, like, Doris is the goods. And for those, for those that don't know, like, really good basketball player, like, in her prime, too. The bottom of the hour is brought to you by DuckDuckGo, privacy simplified. 
So before the break, I was talking about the Bulls and Alex Caruso possibly coming back tomorrow. That would be absolutely huge if he doesn't come back tomorrow. Then it sure seems like on this next road trip, he will be back in the lineup in some capacity for the Bulls. I'd be a little surprised if it's full tilt in terms of minute load, in terms of a lot of other things. So, But just having him back in the lineup, you can see how much work he does in terms of communication on the sideline, coaching guys up. And there's plenty of examples of on the court him doing something similar. Cookies. Yes, a lot of the cookies, forcing turnovers. So that's something that matters a lot because he's been directing guys. Like there's, there's So there's the term pre-switching. And that's when essentially you anticipate screen roll. What he'll do is there were times where a center would go up to set the pick. Like So let's say the guy Vucevic is guarding is on the block. Ball handler is up at the middle of the court. The center goes up because he's going to set that screen. And what ends up happening is Caruso is on the wing. He'll see what's happening, and he'll tell Vooch, hey, you stay with my guy. I'll go up and get in the action, get in that the defending that pick and roll, so that way there's no easy way out for the ball handler. So they won't have as much size to deal with the big, but at that point you can collapse the defense down if the big is rolling towards the basket. Those types of like little plays that really make a difference, and then just in general, the raising the intensity level, which sounds like something kind of nebulous that maybe you can't necessarily quantify, but in the little stretch that Caruso was back before the Grayson Allen play, the Bulls had started to struggle on defense, and then when he came back, it was almost immediate, like the the intensity defensively went back up. The smarts defensively went back up. Now, you can say a guy who doesn't start, should he have that level of impact? Fair question. Kind of have to look at the starters then in that regard and someone to play that role, which Lonzo Ball does to a good extent. But that's something to keep in mind as well. So when we come back, you're going to hear from Dan Bernstein talking with Shiel Kapadia, who's a national NFL writer from The Athletic. Spoke about the Bears, what they're doing in terms of trading Khalil Mack, the moves that could be made as the Bears try and rebuild and and do what they're going to do, and also just how teams can avoid pitfalls in the offseason. It's really fascinating because then you're not looking at one specific example. It's trying to take more of a global look at it. So it can kind of frame how you look at the NFL offseason from a Bears perspective, but also from just kind of looking at the league perspective. It was a great conversation. I want you to be able to hear it. Looking forward to that next on The Score. This is Sports Radio 670 The Score, Chicago's sports station. Welcome back to The Score. I'm Rick Camp here with you for about another 25 minutes or so. I mentioned before the break, I wanted you to hear this conversation that Dan Bernstein had with Shiel Kapadia of The Athletic about NFL offseasons and specifically the Bears. And they started the conversation by you know, Dan mentioning that to Shiel, just kind of wondering if he thinks it makes sense what Ryan Poles is doing based on the realities of the Bears roster. Absolutely. I mean, that, that was my... 
take on it. You know, you look at it, and all of a sudden you say, hey, did they trade Khalil Mack for a second? Wait a minute, what are they doing? But then when you really step back and think about it, to me, the Bears should be looking at the Buffalo Bills as the model of how to kind of rebuild their organization. You know, the Bills were in terrible cap space uh, when their GM, Brandon Bean, took over. They moved off of a lot of big salaries. They acquired draft capital. They took a swing on a quarterback. And then they surrounded that quarterback with talent. To me, that's what the Bears need to do. And so moving Mac this year, you're clearing cap space. You're not competing for a Super Bowl next year. You're acquiring uh, a second-round draft pick. And now the next move is how do you, you know, once you free up some of these assets, how do you use them to surround Justin Fields with an offensive line, with pass-catching weapons, so that you can get a good evaluation and figure out if he's going to be the guy for you for the next seven, eight, ten years, whatever. So to me, uh, it's actually a good sign that Ryan Poles looked at his roster and said, no, we're, this isn't going to be a quick fix here. I inherited a mess. Let's be patient and let's, uh, let, let, let's make these moves for the long-term interest of the franchise. Well, let's stay with that Buffalo comp specifically in the context of the quarterback for the moment, because on the one hand, I think, God, you, you, you would hate to go fallow for another year of this rookie quarterback deal, which is when you're supposed to win. But you can't make up for your predecessor's missteps without a little bit of pain. And I'm trying to divine what it means that they think about fields. Is this, well, you know, maybe we don't think he's as good as they thought he was, so who cares? We'll figure out the quarterback later. Or is it the opposite? It's let's get this out of the way as fast as we can to maximize what we can from him. Yeah, I don't think it says much uh, about Fields at all, to, to be honest. You're right. I mean, it's great when you have a rookie quarterback, uh, on a, a quarterback on a rookie contract, and you can go ahead and surround him with a lot of, like, big names and, Go try to win the Super Bowl. I mean, that's what you're seeing with the Chargers and Justin Herbert. I mean, that's why they make this move. They've got the quarterback. There's no doubt about it. Go ahead and trade for Khalil Mack and now try to win a Super Bowl in the next couple of years here before you're paying Justin Herbert uh, $50 million or whatever it's going to be. But the Bears are just in a different situation. I mean, the truth is they don't know about Justin Fields. I mean, you saw some things you liked and some things you didn't like as a rookie. It was obviously not the best situation and so you need to be able to get a fair evaluation of him uh and maybe see here in 2022 hey what does he look like and then maybe you know next offseason we could be having a different conversation if fields looks great next year and you really see those flashes they could be making different moves next offseason but it's like you said i mean they just didn't have the roster and the cap is just a mess so you can't force something that's not there based on what the previous regime kind of did there. And so even with somebody like Herbert, even with Josh Allen, you know, it was year three, uh, or it's going to be year three for Herbert. Uh, it was year three for Allen before he kind of made that leap. And so with Fields, you know, that would be 2023. And so, again, this move, by moving Matt, it gives you more flexibility to build for those years, 2023, 2024, when he's on the final years uh, of his rookie deal. If he does pan out, now you are going to be able to have a better shot at surrounding him with that talent. What's the league saying about polls? I, I mean, not much yet. I, I mean, I'd say, you know, he hasn't done much. This was his first big move. I think it was a reasonable uh, hire uh, for them in terms of uh, the GM and the candidates out there. Certainly comes from a, a good organization. So uh, I don't have a strong take for you one way 
or another there. You know, I, I haven't heard anyone say, shoot, it's a home run. He's going to be the best GM in the NFL. I haven't heard anyone say it's going to be a disaster. What were they thinking by hiring this guy? I think it was a reasonable move to make given his background. Uh, and now we kind of just have to see what he does here in his first offseason. Now, I, we've been trying to grab you for a while now, but going back to February 23rd when you wrote the piece for The Athletic, a 10-step guide for NFL teams to avoid a disastrous offseason. And I found it fascinating on a lot of levels, but Bears fans who have read this, we've been muttering amongst ourselves that depending on how you read this or how how wounded or pathological a Bears fan one is, Sheil, this this reads like a, a a subtweet of Ryan Pace of basically don't do some of the stuff he did when you're saying prioritize offensive efficiency don't fall in love don't confuse possible for probable don't use the draft to fill needs don't use significant resources for competency at quarterback. You can understand why a Bears fan was wanted to throw up after reading some of this stuff. Yeah, you can. You know, it was funny. I wrote that piece, and trust me, it wasn't just Bears fans. I mean, there were you know fans from different teams around the league, Giants fans, uh, Washington football team fans. I mean, you could really uh, go on and on, Carolina Panthers. Uh, they were like, hey, did you write this, you know, uh, about our team? You know, they, they thought I was subtweeting that as well. It's just a matter of, you know, you look around and, you know, I know when I was younger, I thought, man, if, if somebody's working in the NFL, a GM, they must be kind of the best and the brightest, you know, when I, when I was growing up as a fan. And then you kind of get in the business and you're like, all right, there's a lot more to it. There's, there's politics, there's luck, there's randomness. And, you know, these are not the best run organizations in America, in the world, you know, they have a lot of issues, uh, guys, you know, people are kind of fighting for their, they're making these moves for their job security. They don't have a clear vision. Uh, they change their minds all the time. They have big egos. They're looking at it thinking, Hey, we can evaluate this linebacker, uh, you know, from these three practices we saw better than anyone else in the league. Yeah. Let's go ahead and use a first round pick on him or, uh, you know, sign him to a big deal where the reality is like, you shouldn't be that confident in your ability to evaluate talent. There's so many variables, whether it's character, work ethic, uh, durability, injury, scheme fit. I mean, all these things that uh, you shouldn't be that confident in your ability to evaluate talent. And you should really, you know, for the draft, try to get a lot of bites at the apple so that you can account for some of that randomness. So uh, there's so much that goes into it. But, yeah, I mean, it's funny you say that because there were, um, you know, several uh, fan bases reaching out or even in the comment section of that piece thinking I was talking about their team specifically. You walked up so close to what I thought you were going to say there when you said you you grow up thinking that so many of these guys are automatically the best and the brightest, and then you get around it for a while, and you realize half of them are idiots. Because you know, yeah, well, I'm trying to be nice, but yeah, yeah I, I I get it. I hear you. Uh, pull back the curtain a little bit, because usually when someone who does what you do, when you write something like this, it's almost always prefaced by, "I spoke with X number of executives or." People People, the ownership level who wanted to remain anonymous that usually there is a a description of how you came by this information this is all from you as this was written this, and so it, it, I'm just wondering how you came to compile this list is this just something you woke up and said hey I happen to know these 10 things or did you set out to say I'm going to talk to people and I'm going to come up with 10 things no, you know, I, I've been on uh, beats. You know, I covered the, the Seahawks for a couple of years. I've covered the Eagles 
for several years. Now I'm covering the NFL. I was at the Combine. And so, uh, you know, you, you talk to people, but this is something, you know, I, if you've been covering the league for a while or even just as a fan before that, honestly, I mean, these are the things you think about, uh, the conversations you have, whether it's with people inside the league, outside the league, friends you trust. I mean, it could go in a number of different directions. I, I like sort of the, you know, I'm sort of an analytically minded uh, guy. And so you look at some of that stuff and what the data says and you look at the mistakes that teams make every offseason. It's just sort of when you're covering the late league, there are different, you know, niches, different areas that interest you. And to me, team building is one that I am very interested in and that I like to get more information on and that I like to see, all right, which teams are doing it well, which teams are making the same mistakes over and over again. I wrote a similar piece a couple of years ago uh, with my first shot at it. And I thought, you know what, I want to kind of revisit that and look at how my opinions have changed, how the league has changed now, and do it again. So it might just be something that I revisit uh, every year and kind of try to take a look at and see uh, where the league is going, how teams should approach this kind of thing. Point seven is fascinating. Target coaches and GMs who might be desperate. And you write, most coaches and GMs like their jobs and want to keep them. They will sometimes make decisions that prioritize job security over the long-term interests of their franchise, identify those teams, and try to find value. If Ryan Poles now is in an active phase of, for lack of a better term, teardown, is he in a position to find those teams? And you mentioned the Panthers, you mentioned the Arizona Cardinals about trying to identify some of those. Or is, or is the Bears' current business setting a, a position that allows them to do that? Or do you have to be more in go-for-it mode to to make those aggressive moves that take advantage of others. Yeah, you know, it was uh, really that one came down to, like, if you have a quarterback, if I have a quarterback I'm looking to trade, I would just be calling Matt Rule, like, every hour, you know, because you've just seen with the moves that the Panthers have made here over the past couple of years that they are desperate, and I do think that's somebody who, you know, the owner's not happy and that uh, job security could be an issue there just to kind of look out for opportunities like that. Or maybe there's a team where you say this team might be desperate to kind of make that uh, next step and they might not be worried about draft capital. And, hey, we're a team in the Bears who have some veterans we want to move on from. Maybe we should uh, call them. So, yeah, it's just a matter of kind of keeping an eye on sort of the landscape of the league and looking at teams and coaches and GMs who might be saying, we don't, we're not really worried about three years, five years from now. Like if our team doesn't win nine or 10 games next year, we're out of here. And so we've got to make a move. Like you should always be looking for those types of opportunities um, where, you know, I don't want to, you know, taking advantage of them seems, seems kind of harsh and mean, but you know, that, that you can kind of uh, acquire maybe more assets, more capital um, than you would if you were just, you know, like the Khalil Mack trade, that's one to me that made sense for both teams. I don't think any team got taken advantage of uh, given where their chargers were and given what they gave up, given where the bears are as an organization and what they traded. Like that's to me, I just look at it and say, hey, that's a move that made sense for both teams. And there are a lot of moves like that, but then there are other moves. Um, you know, even if you're looking at that Carson Wentz trade, the Colts in Washington, like Washington was so desperate for a quarterback that they were just like, Oh, we missed out on Russell Wilson. Yeah. We'll up the offer for Carson Wentz. And you know, I don't, they got fleeced a little. I mean, they didn't have to, the Colts didn't have to take on any of Wentz's salary. They get two picks in return for him. This is a guy who they were absolutely going to move on from. And so that's a nice move from the bears and uh, you know, a bad move from Washington. So kind of moves like that are what I was referring to. 
We're talking with Shiel Kapadia, national NFL writer for The Athletic, who is on Twitter at Shiel Kapadia, NFL free agency getting set to open. And if we take Ryan Poles at his word, he said that sometimes you make mistakes in that first wave of free agency with some of the big ticket items and maybe you let the first wave crash on shore and then you see what else is there and find value, particularly where the Bears are. With that in mind, who would be second or third tier free agents for the Bears that would make sense on either side of the ball? Yeah, well, I think the Bears' philosophy needs to be uh, put the offense in position to succeed over anything else. I mean, you hired a defensive uh, head coach. He should theoretically be able to get you more uh, from less from a talent perspective. I mean, you can build through the draft there. But right now, you need to get an evaluation on Justin Fields and figure out how good can this guy be is he the guy for the long running? So to me, it's offensive line, it's pass catching weapons. And so if Allen Robinson, uh, if you move on from Allen Robinson, which I think is the, obviously the most likely scenario, you know, maybe there's a wide receiver out there, like you said, who's not going to be at the top of the market, but you wait a few days, you see what his offers are. Maybe it's a one year deal. Maybe it's not someone like, uh, you know, I wrote down DJ Chark, the wide receiver from the Jacksonville Jaguars, only played in four games last year because of an ankle injury, but this is someone who's in his mid-20s, who's six foot three, who can run, who has been productive in the NFL. Like Someone like that would make uh, a lot of sense to me uh, for the Bears. And then it's got to be about the offensive line. I know there's a lot of moving pieces there, but, man, their, their tackle situation, you don't know what you're going to do there. You don't know where Tevin Jenkins is going to be playing. Uh, so you've just got to figure something out. And less tackle in free agency, you're going to overpay. That's just kind of how it is. And so, to me, it's not an either-or situation. You know, I think you go out and you sign somebody. Maybe it's Dwayne Brown. He's 37 years old. You're saying this isn't going to be the guy for the long term, but can he be okay for a year? You know, you kind of need to set that floor where he's getting competent left tackle play. And then you can still address it uh, in the draft and say, hey, maybe there's someone here we can take a flyer on and try to get more of a long-term solution. So that's another guy I had kind of marked down for them. And then, you know, I think you probably need another offensive lineman, maybe a guard, somebody like Trey Turner, who played pretty well for the Steelers last year with a 17-game starter. There are a lot of those guards out there who can give you kind of competent uh, play, maybe with some upside. Uh, That, to me, would be how I would address it. You know, maybe it's a wide receiver, two offensive linemen, uh, something like that, where you really say, okay, we've upgraded already. And now if we draft over these guys, uh, that's a great problem to have. You know, that's a nice solution where you say, all right, a rookie came in and played better than them. Well, hey, that's fine. Uh, You're going to need depth anyway. The concentration on offense is critical. And you wrote it without uh, pulling any punches there, where you said the defense matters, but offense matters more. And teams that acknowledge that simple truth will have an edge. Now, you made the point using Football Outsiders DVOA, talking about offensive efficiency. And the question I have for you is how that's defined, because over the years, I've read that some offenses become trapped by efficiency of being able to operate without throwing interceptions and being able to gain rather than lose the trade-off is yes our offense is extremely efficient and we can get from the 20 to the 20 but we lack the big explosive chunk plays that really define effective offense so when you say efficiency how does one also remain mindful of aggressiveness and and the kind of explosive offense that wouldn't necessarily be described perhaps as efficient 
Yeah, no, I think explosiveness is accounted for in that, and I think it's absolutely important to come up with ways to create explosive plays. I mean, if you're relying on 9, 10, 11 play drives, uh, you know, four or five times a game, it's really hard to win that way. You need to have a downfield explosive element, specifically when you have Justin Fields. I mean, that should be at the core of what you do because that is his strength. What I mean by efficiency is football statistics are kind of behind the other sports where we look at yards per game and points per game, and those just can be so deceiving. I mean, if you're down, you know, 40 to 16, and you put together two drives in the fourth quarter that go 80 yards, and now all of a sudden it looks like you have a good offense and you don't, that can be deceiving. If your defense leads the NFL in takeaways, and hey, it looks like you're scoring a lot of points, but you know what? A lot of times you're getting the ball at the opponent's 25-yard line, and you don't have to go very far. So there are some of these stats out there. You mentioned DVOA that just take those things uh, into account and do a better job of kind of contextualizing offensive statistics and maybe yards per game or points per game do. Uh, but, yeah, no, explosiveness absolutely has to be a part of it. And if you just look at it, I mean, offensive efficiency is more sustainable. Once you figure out the quarterback, once you have the play caller, you're going to be in the mix year in and year out where there's more of a randomness. You know, it's been shown by some of these kind of analytical studies to defense. And so, again, I'm not saying defense doesn't matter. Defense does matter. But to me, especially when you just invested in a young quarterback, you have to figure out the offense. That's going to put you in the mix year in and year out. That's really good stuff from Shil Kapati of The Athletic with Dan Bernstein earlier today on The Score. Real busy day with all the news from the Bulls, the NFL, Bears releasing a few guys, baseball starting to have a few moves here and there with Carlos Rodon being out of town. David Ross got an extension. How about that whole deal? So, yeah, thank you for being part of this show. Thank you to everybody who called, texted, interacted on Twitter at Rick C. Camp on on Twitter, as I just said, from the Department of Redundancy Department. Hey, I've been in this building for 14 hours now. I'm ready to go home. Thank you to Brian Callahan on the other side of the glass doing a great job. Thank you to Brian Perez and to Tyler Morales for coming on. When you hear you come back after this break, you will hear the final hour of Bet MGM tonight. That is the show that Tyler works on doing a lot of the stats work for those guys out based in DC. And my guy Ryan Horvat on the score for uh for uh talent for college basketball stuff this tournament. I can use words, I promise. Former student of mine. So it's good to see uh one of my own my former students making good and honestly better than me. So good for him. I'm happy for him. Great dude. Keep it tuned here to the score. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.